Please stand for the reading of God's word. Passage today will be Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Fred, and Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, New Year's can be a mixed time for many of us. Uh, Sometimes our years start out with a thud instead of a bang. Uh, Sometimes our years end with a thud or a whimper uh, or just grieving. I know some of us have been through difficult things in the past weeks uh, and months. And so wherever you're coming in this morning, I hope that God finds you in the midst of that and meets you in this new year uh, with a hope that transcends whatever the year may bring our way. Uh, Along with that, we are starting a a short series to start the new year uh, from the end of the Bible itself, from Revelation 21 and 22, a little mini-series that I'm calling All Things New, focusing on the culmination of the whole biblical story. This is where, kids, if you pick up your Bible, This big chunky part ends at this tiny thin part. We are going all the way to the end to see what this whole thing is pointing towards, what happens at the end of the story. And what's there is a vision of something new. New heavens, new earth, things are different but also the same in some ways. It's a picture of a new city coming down from God and God coming down with it to be with His people. It's a, it's a picture of a new reality. And these chapters give us something like a preview. It's almost like you're watching a trailer for a movie is reading the, re- the end of, of Revelation. You get a, a sense of what's coming, but it doesn't give you all the details. It doesn't answer all your questions. So as we go through these things, there will still be some things that, that we don't answer. There are some mysteries that can't be uh, fully laid out for us here and that we won't get to. But that's actually part of the point. Part of the point of Revelation is to draw out our questions to make us curious, to get us to start dreaming about a life with all things, even ourselves, made new. To have a vision, even a curiosity in our hearts about what it might really look like to be a person who is finally, completely flourishing from top to bottom, whose relationships are new, whose relationships to ourselves, to God, to our world are brand new. I want us to take that curiosity that Revelation draws us to have so that this future reality it points us to might start to shape our present a little bit as we enter into this new year. 
And so this morning, we're beginning in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5 here, which introduce us just in a small way to this new reality that the rest of these two chapters will unpack much more fully. But the, the, the acorn, the, the kernel of what we're seeing in these chapters is held in these first few verses, which is a picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And what is most centrally true about this new heaven and new earth, what characterizes it most fully is that God is at the center of it, that God is with His people. He is animating all these things. And so I want to explore that centrality of God at the center of this new reality and what that means for our lives today. I want to do that by asking three questions. What is this vision of the future? What are, what are we talking about? What's Revelation trying to convey? How does that future come about, secondly? And how do we know it's not too good to be true? So what is this thing that we're seeing? How does it come about? And how do we know it's not too good to be true? Kids, if you are listening with us this morning, I want to give you an opportunity, an invitation as we talk about things that God wants to make new in our lives. I want to invite you to maybe draw or write down what's something in your life you would like to be different this year. Big kids, same for you. What would you like to be different in your life this year? And think about that in the context of what God offers us in this picture of newness. But before we do that, would you bow your heads? Let's pray one more time and ask Him to fill up our hearts. Father, we come before You again this morning, having heard You speak in many ways, having heard You clearly now from Your Word, speaking about something that is to come, about where all of this is going, where all of our stories don't just come to an end, but find a new beginning in You. Father, I pray that you would speak to each of the hearts that are here this morning, wherever their stories have led, wherever their stories are leading. It's, it's impossible at the beginning of the year to know what will come our way. I pray that you would walk with these hearts, that you would walk them towards this future with unshakable certainty that they might know that whatever comes their way, this, if they know you, is their future. So I pray that you would speak this morning in the ways that I cannot, that your people might hear your voice and have hope. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use an app or just listen along. But we're going to go back through the text a bit together to talk about what is this, this preview, this trailer of the future, of where all the biblical story is going. What does it show us? Well, verses 3 through 4 show us something that is particularly powerful for the people of God to hear because this is something that's been anticipated, longed for, promised for centuries and centuries, and that's the unraveling of sin and all its consequences. What went wrong in the very beginning finally comes undone in the very end. Verse 3 shows God living with His people, dwelling with them, is what the Word says, which means that God is able to be with us in a way that He has not been able to be with us since the fall into sin, that, that something has been removed so that our relationship with God can resume in a new, unfiltered, unhindered way. 
Sin is separation from God. It tears us away. It directs us away from Him, which means that if God is at the center, that now sin, the thing that keeps tugging us away from God, has been taken away. It's been undone. It's gone. Nothing is getting in the way of our relationship to God anymore. There are no more of those moments where you wake up and you stare at yourself in the mirror and you think, why am I like this? I don't like the person I'm becoming. That goes away. Imagine that. Imagine no distance anymore between you and your Creator. Verse 4 says, not just is, is sin gone, we don't have this dissonance between ourselves, between each other, between God anymore, but verse 4 says, even death, the ultimate consequence of sin, the truest separation from God and from each other is actually gone here too. This is the end of death, the death of death. Imagine that. Maybe like me this year, you've buried someone. Imagine that stopping. And you don't say goodbye to anyone anymore. Verse 4 also says that pain and suffering, that the lived experiences of sin and all its consequences, not just the ultimate consequence of death, but the struggle it brings, the, the hardship and breakdown that it brings, that those things are wiped away here by the very personal presence of God in your life. In short, all of sin's brokenness completely comes undone here. It unravels. And in its place, the passage shows us the rising of a new, vibrant future. Verses 1 and 2 show a new heaven and a new earth. They are revealed as replacing the old. There are some mysterious things here. It says the sea is gone. In ancient times, the sea was something of fear. It's another way of saying anything fearful about being in creation is gone. There is this new world where there is no fear in our existence. It also talks about a new city, a holy city, a special dwelling place of God's presence, it's pure, which is another way of saying that it's unbroken by sin, that there's nothing wrong there, that it is just, it is peaceful, it is equitable, it is right. The passage describes it as something like a bride on her wedding day, glowing, beautiful. It's a place in other words, where we can live as God meant for us to live in true flourishing and peace with He who is flourishing and peace. It's a beautiful picture. And it's actually made much more beautiful when we realize that the things these verses are saying are not just a new vision out of nowhere that John has, but these things are actually the fulfillment of past promises that God made to His people long ago. In Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, God says, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. That's an echo of verse 3 where it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God is actually seen here doing what He promised He would do all the way back in Leviticus. Isaiah 65 
verses 17 through 19, part of that says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Wiping away tears, a new heaven and a new earth, a place of peace. John's vision is showing the fulfillment of things that God has been longing to do, things that have been on his heart for his people for centuries, for millennia, which means that this future, this new reality is actually deeply aware of the past. It's deeply aware of the past of his people. The promises of Leviticus and Isaiah fulfilled here were made to a people deeply broken by sin, people with a messy past, people whose pasts were probably messier than yours. If you go back in the Old Testament, this is not a book of heroes showing us the best way to live your life. It is a book of messed up people that God continues to save and be gentle and patient with time and again. And all of those moments of patience and forgiveness and walking alongside culminate in the promises of God being fulfilled. That he would always come back for his people. God made promises not to the best and shining and glimmering people, but to broken, messed up, truly problematic people. God makes promises to them, to me, to you. Because God's plan for our future does not depend on us getting it exactly right. God's plans for your future do not depend on Him ignoring and turning a blind eye to your past, just pretending like it didn't happen. Rather, God's promise for this future depends on His redeeming your past, not erasing your past. Hear that this morning. God's promises for your future do not depend on Him erasing your past, on you never talking about the mess that your life used to be, continues to be, but on God redeeming the mess that is our lives, on making something beautiful out of it. God had every opportunity in this chunky part of Scripture to just walk away, to completely start over, to ditch the entire cosmos and planet, to try out different creatures, to try something new, but He didn't. Even from the very beginning, He leans in, He makes promises, He digs deeper with people that were messing up with people that were separating themselves from him, particularly people who were hard-hearted towards him. God's making more promises, which means that we don't have to hide who we have really been from God. You don't have to hide what your heart is really like to have a hope like this to have a future like this. In fact, if anything, Revelation is pointing out that if that's you, this is your future. This was the future that was made for you, made for your family, made for your friends, made for our cities and our neighborhoods and our neighbors. It was made for people with problems. God knows your past and makes promises like these to you 
anyway. Because he doesn't need to erase your past to make something out of you. Rather, he delights to redeem it. God doesn't want to tear down your creaky historic building and turn it into condos, right? God wants to see the full glory of you redeemed to what it ought to be. He wants to work with your past, not disown it. That's what this vision shows us, a great hope for messy people with problems, sinful people. It's a hope that we, even we, could be made new like this. That people like you and I, messed up people like the people of God, could end up with a future like this. Christianity is not just a hope for the goody-two-shoes rule followers. In fact, the core of Christianity is a hope for those who just can't seem to get it together. That's the hope that this shows us. And how does that hope come about then? Turning to our second point, it comes about by God being at the center of it all. God is the one that makes all these things happen. Look at the text. Verse 5, it's Jesus speaking who says, He is making all things new. God is the one doing it, not something else, not someone else. Verse 2 says it's a new Jerusalem coming down. That's a new, again, special dwelling place of God with humanity coming down to us as a gift from where? From, from nowhere, from God's presence, with God. Verse 4 says it's God who is personally wiping away every tear from our eyes. If you were with us on Christmas, we talked about how when John was afraid, Jesus touched him. He connected with his pain. He entered into his experience. We see the continuation of that theme of a personal caring God all the way at the end of Revelation, that it's God who is reaching out to catch your tears, to meet you in your pain. It's all coming from God doing these things personally for you, with you, near you. Revelation is saying what makes this future special is God. God is the one that animates these things. He's the breath of life making this city, this place, this future come to be. And because he's there, pain is gone, sorrow is gone, tears, death, sin, all the brokenness is gone. When you are fully with God, when he has redeemed you, when you know him like this, this is what life is like for you. This is where it goes. But a challenging implication of, of God being the center of these things, being what animates them, what gives them life is that if we are dreaming of a future like this, if we're dreaming of a future without tears, without inequity, without injustice, without suffering and brokenness and pain, without relationships that are broken, without families that are estranged, if we're dreaming of that world and God is not at the center of that world, Revelation would suggest that we are dreaming of a future that does not exist. That if you want these things, what you want is God who gives these things, who is these things. Revelation alongside all of Scripture is saying that, that if God isn't at the center, a future of true flourishing is just a dream. It's not a reality. There's nothing substantive to it. 
Nothing that will ever make it come to be. It will just stay in the fiction section. It will never come into reality. The passage showing God at the center is making us ask, does your vision of a better future, a better you, a better world, does it connect to God or is it just a dream? Is it like John's vision? Is it tied to? Is it deeply aware of your past, of our neighborhood's past, of our city's past, of our country's past, of our world's past? Is it aware of these things, or is it just wishful thinking and whitewashing? Can your vision of hope handle the real you? The same you that woke up this morning is the same you that woke up last year. Can it handle that same you that's still here? Does that vision rest entirely on your shoulders, on you bringing it about, on your effort, on your never making mistakes, never getting it so wrong that you couldn't be brought back in? Are you tired of carrying all that around? You want something that can handle the real you, but doesn't depend on the real you making it happen. Revelation says that with God, we can find that. With God, there is the removal of sin and all its consequences from ourselves and from our world, all the hurt and pain and separation. It comes through the life and the resurrection and the death of Jesus Christ, not by our effort, but by His effort. He gives us new life. He is the one who at the cross was making all things new in us and who is revealed in Revelation as making cosmically all things new before our eyes, putting sin to death in His body on the cross there all that was needing to come true here begins in seed form. It's that flash that sets this future in motion. It's there that he was deeply aware of our past and yet made true and full promises to save sinners exclusively by, by our effort? No, by grace. Promising to go and prepare a place for us this beautiful future for the real you. But how do we know that this vision with God at the center is not just too good to be true, that it in and of itself is not wishful thinking that we could ever be with God like this, that someone like me, someone like you could ever really be with God like this? Well, if we go back This is our last point here. Again, to verse 5, relatedly, again, it's Jesus. He is the one that's making all these things come true. He says, behold, I will make all things new. He is the promise. He is the guarantee that this future is not too good to be true, that God will be in our midst like this one day. We have that guarantee because Jesus has already been in our midst dwelling with us, healing, wiping tears away, giving the dead back to their families, giving hope to those who are broken, who have lived long, long years in suffering and physical pain, who had blindness, who weren't able to see, whose hearts were full of hatred and bitterness and coldness to others. 
We have the confidence that God means to dwell with us like this because, as we just celebrated at Christmas, Christ has already come to dwell with us like this. He has stepped into our very being, not just bringing a creation and a city down, but stepping into what it is to be human, incarnating into our experience. God is already dwelling with humanity forever in the person of Jesus Christ. Already. This has begun. We can know this is not too good because it's already happened. It's already beginning. And what God begins, as Scripture says, He finishes. If He has begun with Jesus to dwell with us, you can be sure, you can bet the entirety of your life that He means to dwell with you in a new and complete and full way. That if He has started out with you, He is going to finish with you. And He came at Christmas and we have the testimony, the hope that He has begun with us and He will finish with us. So if you want the promise of this future, all we have to do is look at Jesus and know that it's already been set in motion. That's how we know that this promise is not too good to be true, that we're not awaiting something to happen in us, some, some level of spirituality, some, some level of maturity, some level of success or achievement that we need to reach in order for God to bring us into this place. All that's needed to happen has already been started and finished with Jesus Christ coming, living the perfect life, dying and resurrecting. In that, this future is already guaranteed as yours. All you need is Him. That's where all the benefits come from. So if you want a future like this, a future that can handle your past, handle you even today, that can carry you when you feel like you're drowning, when you just can't stop saying things that hurt each other, that hurt our, our, our friends, our spouses, our family members, when others keep saying those things to you, then you need this future and you need this Jesus. He's the one who has come to make you and all things new, and you can be sure that He will do it. So very practically then, I want to give us two things to do to start out in this new year, in this series, in, in focusing our hearts on Revelation's picture of a whole creation made new. I want to encourage you to find and to fill. If you want this newness for your new year, this new vision, find Jesus. Ask Him to be at the center of your life. You don't have to wait to be this perfect person. You don't have to wait to even understand it all, to even say, I finally get it. It all makes sense. All you have to say is, help me. Save me. Find me. And that, if you ask anyone who's here that's a Christian, is the answer that they will tell you is, I thought I was looking for Him, but really, He found me. Let Him find you this year. Let Him redeem your past. Stop running from it because He's running to you. And second, 
If you have been found in Christ, then let this this future, this hope, this promise of what will be yours, no matter what happens in 2023, let this fill your year and your years to come. Start, Start imagining this future. Start dreaming about it. Kids, in the same way that we dream about what it's going to be like, Leighton, I don't know if you're listening, but Leighton has been dreaming about a bicycle with pedals for months. I have heard for months about the dream of a bicycle with pedals. What if we as a community could be heard dreaming about a future like this? A spiritual future of a bike with pedals. Right? Something that would move us somewhere, that would enliven us. What would it be like if this was on our lips, if this was the way we talked, if this is what our hearts were really filled with? I want to let it fill up my free time. I want you to let it fill up your free time that if we move our hand just slightly away from our phone and let our hearts just be still for a minute and come back to this chapter and just dream for a few seconds about what it would be like to actually sit in this. I want to give us a little exercise to do together in closing to help us start practicing that this year, to imagine this future coming true for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to, to literally close your eyes right now. And I want you to think about what it will be like to have your tears wiped away by the hand of God. To never feel afraid again. To never be mocked or feel ashamed again. To never have you or anyone else that you love be sick or get hurt or hurt one another again. To never be anxious to never have anxiety, to never have depression, to never be estranged, to never be cut off, to never have bodies that are breaking down again. What will it be like to finally flourish? I want you to breathe this future in. I want you to physically do that. Take a big breath with me. Breathe in and breathe out. Now open your eyes. Because one day you are going to open your eyes in the new heavens and the new earth and take your first full breath of a life like this. Let's pray. I want to give you a few moments to talk to God about some of the things that we've just talked about to maybe thank Him for being aware of your past, for knowing all of it, for being willing to make promises to someone like you like me. Maybe confess the ways that, that we've wanted aspects of this future, but we don't want God at the center. We don't, we don't want Him there. We don't want Him being the one that's in charge. Maybe ask God to redeem your story, to, to really fill you up with this hope, to find you. Let's talk to Him for a few moments. Let's pray. Father, this future is yours, but by your grace, you make it ours. I pray that you would anchor our hearts in this hope today, this year, that you would fill us up 
with the promise that what you have begun you will finish and that we will indeed one day open our eyes and take our first full breath in the presence of your glorious face. Preserve us until that day. We long for that day to come. Come quickly, Lord. Amen.